Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to Passion Harvest. I am Louisa, your host. Thank you so much for joining me wherever you are in the world right now. Our guest today is Garnet Schulhauser. He travels with his spirit guide to other dimensions. Garnet Schulhauser Astral travels with his guide, Albert, revealing the truth about our existence as eternal souls, reincarnation, the afterlife, and so much more. Garnet has published five books. This is his story and this is his passion. Garnet, welcome to Passion Harvest. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Welcome. Well, thank you for inviting me, Louisa. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. Oh my gosh, I've got a lot of questions for, to ask you, but I'd like to start probably with your spirit guide that you travel with Albert, as I understand that you call him. For the audience, do you mind describing your guide and Albert and how this came to be? Sure. Well, it was, um, I was still practicing law and I was uh, walking down the street one afternoon when a, suddenly out of nowhere, a homeless man just jumped out in front of me. And he looked like a typical homeless man with the long stringy hair, scraggly beard, dirty slept in clothes. But instead of walking around him, as I usually would when I encountered these people on the street, I stood there because he had these amazing, dazzling, sparkling blue eyes. And his eyes seemed to be sending me a wave of pure, unconditional love that was infusing my whole body with an amazing sense of peace, security, and well-being. It was the most wonderful feeling I've ever had in my life. So I stood there like a deer caught in the headlights. And then finally, he broke the spell by saying, why are you here? Then he disappeared into a nearby store. So when I finally collected my wits, I decided I had to go into the store to find him. I went in there, there was only one entrance and exit. Uh, he hadn't come out, but he was nowhere in the store. So I walked out back on the street and I walked up and down for several blocks hoping to spot him, but he had disappeared into thin air. So I resolved that night that I was gonna go back to find him the next day. And so I did, same street, same time of day. I walked up and down uh, the street to try to find him. I was about to give up hope when I saw him sitting all alone on a bench. So I walked up to him and I said, who are you and why did you stop me the other day? He said, I'm a soul just like you. I'm here to answer your questions and help you on your journey. So then my skeptical lawyer brain kicked in and I said, why do you think you could help me when you can't even help yourself? Because it looks like you've been sleeping on the street for weeks and you smell like a dead fish. Well, he just cracked a big smile and he said, you know, looks can be deceiving because it looks like you look like you're a successful lawyer with everything under control. But we both know that's just a facade. He said, if you want to, you can turn around and go back to your office and see if you can find the answers you've been seeking all these years on all those emails from your clients waiting for you on your computer. Or you can sit down and have a chat with me. So luckily, my intuition was screaming at me that I needed to sit down and talk to this guy because he's obviously a special person. So I did. Sat down and began a conversation. Uh, the homeless man said his name was Albert. He was one of my spirit guides. 
And that was the beginning of a dialogue that went off and on for several months. Um, and he answered all of my questions and many more. And then he surprised me early on by saying, I'm not just here to satisfy your curiosity. I want you to write a book about what I revealed to you so everyone will have access to it. So that was the beginning of uh, my adventures with Albert and my writing career. And I, initially, I, didn't, I wasn't keen about writing a book, but he was gently persuasive. And eventually I did. And, and after that, our dialogue, I wrote the first book, Dancing on a Stamp. Wow. What, what, I mean, what an unexpected and incredible experience. And I know in your books you've wrote, written about Albert and your astral travels with Albert. Do you mind talking about astral travel? What is it and how do you do it for those that aren't aware or are well, interested in the audience? Yeah, astral, uh, the astral plane is basically a very high vibration uh, environment. Um, and, and so uh, when you're traveling on the astral plane, uh, you don't really have a physical body. You have an astral body and you can pass through walls and ceilings and so on. How I began, it, it was quite interesting because after I'd finished my first manuscript, um, Albert came into my life again. And what happened was I sound asleep in my bed. I heard something that made me sit up and I could see this ghost-like ethereal figure standing in the doorway of my bedroom. And when it moved closer towards me, I could see it was Albert, uh, but now he was in astral form. And I said, well, hi, Albert, you know, what brings you here? And he says, I've come to take you on a series of astral trips, out-of-body experiences. Uh, I'm gonna take you to the spirit side, other places in the universe, other places on our planet. So then he literally pulled my astral body out of my physical body. I turned around and looked, I could see my physical body sound asleep in bed still. And now I'm in astral form with Albert. And he said, follow me. And he just took me by the hand and we rose up through the ceiling, up through the clouds, uh, hovered for a few moments above our beautiful planet. And then he took me through a doorway into the spirit side. So that's how the astral travels began. That's how they happened every time thereafter. He would show up in my bedroom unannounced. I'd never knew when he was coming. And then he'd just take me somewhere. And he always had his own agenda. He wasn't sort of like, where do you want to go? It was like he had places that he wanted me to see and people I want to, he wanted me to talk to. So he had an agenda for me. He wanted me to write all about uh, my astral trips and what I saw in my next books, which I did. So the last four books are about my astral travels with Albert. Gosh, you speak about so many of your incredible experiences with Albert. Um, I'd like to start first with uh, the Akashic Records. What, what, yes. What are they? What's it like? I mean, gosh, I, I'm going to leave it up to you because I have so many questions. Well, the Akashic Records are the records of every life that has ever been lived anywhere in the universe. If you want to see uh, all of your previous lives, whether it be on Earth or in some other planet, you can, you can actually go there and watch them all in great detail. You can also watch the life of anybody else that you know that you're curious about. So if you want to know what Henry VIII was really like, you can go into and view his life. Uh, if you want to know what Joan of Arc was like or how Anthony and Cleopatra got along, you can go and see all those, uh, all those lives in the Akashic Records. And there's no barrier to entry. Uh, there's no restrictions. Uh, there's no secrets on the spirit side. So everything is wide open. You can't try to uh, hide anything because anybody can go to your uh, your life and, and in the Akashic Records and, and, and find out for sure what you really did. So there's no pretending, no secrets. So it's really wide open. It's really quite interesting. And, and I, I had a number of occasions to be there with Albert. Um, and uh, I'm actually looking forward to being able to spend as much time as I want when I cross over um, to see. I mean, I'm curious about a lot of things. So you can find 
lots of neat things in the Akashic records. Gosh. And <laughs> how are the Akashic records revealed to you? Are they like a movie? Are they a feeling experience? How yeah, it's it, yeah, it's sort of like it's in a. Uh, Albert took me to this large building he called the Hall of Records, and then there was various little viewing rooms in this Hall of Records. So we went into the viewing room. And there was a large holographic globe that was sort of suspended in midair, um, and that was where it came. And Albert knew how to run it. I didn't, but um, you, you can you, you can watch uh, things like you're watching a 3D movie. So you can we can watch your past lives or other people's past lives. It's like a 3D movie. And if you're watching one of your own past lives, you can actually jump into the scene and basically relive some of the things that you're watching. So it's really quite an amazing experience. Gosh, and oh, I mean, it's just amazing. And um, Albert, you don't necessarily have a choice. Albert directs what he would like to reveal to you. Yes, he, he takes me where he wants to go. With one exception, in my last book, after I had had a number of trips with him, I said, Albert, can you answer uh, you know, some of my questions and, and he finally agreed to, to give me information about three things I was curious about. But other than that, it's like he's taking me where he wants me to go because uh, he, he, he has a clear plan about what he wants me to reveal to everyone else in my book. So it was really, he, he was my tour guide. I had no choice. Well, I want a tour guide like that. <laughs> how, how often does Albert come to you for your astral travels? Oh, it, it's sporadic. It, it, sometimes he might come two nights in a row. Sometimes it might be week, 10 days apart. Um, and then when I'm, when I'm busy sort of writing the manuscript for a book, he, he tends to leave me alone for a while so I don't get distracted. And then he'll come back in again. So it's, it's very, there's nothing regular about it. And I have no idea when he's coming and he just shows up. But no, I'm not concerned when I see him standing in my bedroom. It's like, okay, where are we going this time, Albert? Wow. Um, I have to ask you, what were the three questions you wanted to know the answers to? Uh, yeah, I wanted to know about uh, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. I wanted to know about the Loch Ness Monster and about the Bermuda Triangle. And he told me about those. That those are just short glimpses. I can tell you what he told me if you want. I would. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, yes. I'm in suspense now. You have to answer if you feel sure, comfortable. Sure. Well, the Ark of the Covenant, you know, after watching the Indiana Jones movie, you know, the first one. Mm -hmm. um, so I was curious is, you know, does it have magical powers, paranormal uh, powers? And uh, he said, no, it, it actually did contain the 10 commandments, the tablets, but it doesn't have any special powers. And it moved around from various places uh, and eventually ended up somewhere in France. And he wouldn't tell me where, but he said, you know, it's there, someday we'll, we'll discover it. Um, Loch Ness Monster is a real thing. It's actually a carry over from uh, an aquatic dinosaur from the dinosaur era that managed to survive. So it's, it's actually a real life creature there. Uh, and it's very adept. The Loch Ness is a very deep lake. So it's easy for them to hide. Um, there's actually more than one of them. And they've been living there. They, they got into the Loch Ness back in the days from the North Sea when there was a channel from the North Sea into the Loch Ness. And then they sort of got trapped there, but they're very adept at, at escaping. Uh, detection and that's what they are. So they are real. Bermuda Triangle, um, the reason that all strange things happen there is because there's a, uh, an ET base under the seabed in, in that area of the, of the Caribbean Sea. So the ETs have a base there. They have a, a, a wormhole that they use to, to uh, go to different places in the galaxy. And what happens is that because there's such a large amount of electromagnetic energy generated when they're using this wormhole, 
is that that sometimes it throws off planes, their navigation, communication, and so on. And that's why a lot of, you know, the stories about planes and boats and so on disappearing there. So it's, it's really an underground UFO base. So anyway, for what it's worth, it, that's what he told me. So <laughs> Amazing. Um, you, so you, you speak about uh, extraterrestrials, but you've, you also spoke about other worlds, other galaxies. Are there other life forms um, besides what we identify with just humans on Earth? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the galaxy, the universe, in fact, is, is full of different life forms. There's all kinds of different planets. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of the life forms uh, are very advanced, much more advanced than humans. And a lot of those have been traveling to Earth and visiting us, monitoring what we're doing on Earth uh, for a long, long time, like even from the time we first started walking on this planet. Um, but the good news is, is that they're all benevolent. The ones who visit us are benevolent. They mean us no harm. They're actually here to help us and, and they try to help us in very subtle ways like sending us uh, inspirational messages telepathically to people to invent things to make our lives better and so on and they really want us to succeed uh, but what they can't do is because they're under a, a, what's called the prime directive from the galactic federation they cannot sort of unduly interfere uh, with what's going on on earth or any other uh, civilization you know in the galaxy much like the prime directive in star trek you can't unduly interfere with an inferior race. And so they have the capability uh, of destroying all of our weapons of mass destruction. They could do that, but because of this directive, they are not allowed to do that. So they have to stand by and watch as we go through, you know, World War One, World War Two, build up our weapons stockpile, and, and they can't really interfere unless it might mean destruction of the planet, and then they could step in. And so they have to, so they're kind of frustrated. They want us to succeed. They want to help us. And they're afraid they're going to end up like some of the other very advanced civilizations in our planet, but in our history, like Lemuria and, and Atlantis, who rose up to great heights and then crashed and burned. They're hoping that our civilization doesn't end up with the same fate. So they're really trying to do their best to help us. Um, and, and yes, there is all kinds of life forms everywhere. I haven't, I've only seen a few different ones. There's also um, some other human civilizations on other planets, which is really quite interesting. Um, and then to top, if you want even a greater mystery, is that there's a number of parallel universes in which Earth exists, where things are, you know, sometimes quite a bit different, or maybe in some cases, just slightly different. And so I've had the opportunity to visit different planets, and in particular, these human civilizations. Um, so it, it's been absolutely fascinating. Gosh, fascinating. Gosh. And, and, and when you talk about, uh, oh, my gosh, a lot of questions here, so we we don't have to have any. We're not don't no need to be afraid from the extraterrestrials. But when you talk about parallel universes, does that mean, for example, there's another reality of Garnet living on a different Earth as a human? It's possible, and I don't know, and Albert would not tell me. But how that happens is that when the source, uh, I call it the source, not God, when when the source. Uh, first created the first universe, uh, it was programmed to split into two in a random fashion. So the first universe split into two and those then split into two more. That's been going on for a long time. So that if, if you're existing in a universe when it splits into two, all of a sudden there's gonna be two of you, one in each universe, and you won't be aware of it. Nobody, not until you get back to the spirit side, but the, there will be two of you. So there's no, there's no guarantee that you, there's two of you somewhere um, 
uh, maybe there's only one. It depends on when when our universe split. Um, but there, it, you know, it, but you could have a clone somewhere. And what happens then is that you 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 will realize what uh, what went on until you get back to the spirit side, and then both clones sort of merge back together again, and and you're one. So it's it's kind of quite fascinating. And so when you came to a major decision point, a fork in the road, you may have taken the left fork. If you saw your clone, might have taken the other fork, and then you can say, oh, okay, well, did I make the right decision or not such a good decision? So just as a matter of curiosity, we'll be able to see that when we get back to the spirit side. Very interesting. And, I, and what I just, from what I understand that I wanted to explain to the audience, it's not some far off universe. It's a different vibration. It's kind of almost like right here. It's not millions of kilometers away. It's here. It's just a different frequency. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And, and, and some people do get glimpses into those. Um, the, the advanced ET, ET races can in fact travel between the different dimensions in the parallel universe. So it, it's, it's something that humans don't are really aware of, mm. but the ETs are very familiar with it and they can travel, or a lot of them can travel freely back and forth between them. Yes, because so much in our humanness, of course, we think in time and space, but there really is no time and distance between these dimensions, worlds, parallel universes. Um, with your experiences, incredible experiences with Albert, you spoke about us, we as the inferior race. Why are we here? The universal question. Where are humans on this planet? Why, I mean, yes, why are we here? What, what's our purpose? Okay, well, well, first of all, we're, excuse me, we're all eternal souls. Um, and we're all having a human journey on the planet. It's a journey that we chose for ourselves. No one made us come here. Our true home is the spirit side, which is a very high vibrational dimension. Um, and on a spirit side, our natural form is just a, a globe of energy, really. So we chose to incarnate here. Why? Because we wanted to experience uh, some challenges and learn some lessons to help us grow and evolve as souls. So it was really sort of like an adventure on the denser plains that we chose for ourselves. And before we incarnated, we all prepared a life plan where we set out the, the initial significant details of our incarnation, like our name, place we're going to be born, the identity of our parents, siblings, other relatives, and so on. And so that is sort of etched in stone when we're born. Now, the trouble is, of course, um, that once we're incarnated, we don't remember that we have a life plan. And because we have free will to act, then we can, we can quite often stray off the course that we hope to follow before we incarnate it. So our lives aren't etched in stone. The life plan sets out some major things that we hope to achieve, uh, but we don't always check all the boxes off. And so that's just part of the challenge of being a human on earth going through a journey here. And if we don't achieve our life plan, perhaps we are required to reincarnate and uh, work on that life actually, plan Albert, again. Actually, Albert says there's no, nobody forces us to reincarnate. So even if you don't uh, do all the things you wanted to, even if you acquire bad karma in a life, you don't have to come back. It's, it's a soul's free choice. You can decide to come back on earth and incarnate again, or you can incarnate on a different planet, or you can stay in the spirit side. But most souls feel moral imperative in, in terms of advancing their evolution to come back if they, they miss something on, a, on one life to come back and, and, uh, and try it again, try to do better. So it's, it, it's not a forced thing, but most souls will do that. Um, and, and most souls will keep on doing that until they reach the stage where they feel they can no longer learn anything from incarnation on earth and then they say okay well i'm done with earth move on to somewhere else so um 
and we, you never know where you are in the whole scheme of things. You're not entitled to know that till you get back to the spirit side. Sure. And, and earth is a tough school. I mean, the, the suffering that many can endure through various experiences or choice emotions, it's, it's can be pretty brutal at times. It's absolutely a tough school. In fact, it's one of the toughest in the universe, according to, to Albert. Um, and, but we know that beforehand. So as, as souls on the spirit side, we know more or less what we're going to get into. We know that a life on earth is no walk in the park. It can be tough. I mean, lots of trials and tribulations. But we do that anyway because we know we want to sort of learn from the experience, gain wisdom and knowledge. And so it, it, from there, it doesn't seem like it's a big deal to have an incarnation on earth because there's no linear time, as you mentioned before. There's no past or future. It's all bit one big now. So when you're on a soul on the spirit side, when you look at a lifetime, a human lifetime of 80 years, we think 80 years is a long time. Over there, it's just a blink of an eye. So it's sort of like, well, I'm going to have a quick adventure. I'll be back before... Um, I mean, you know, before I know it and, and then I can plan my next life. So it's from their perspective, it's not a big deal. From ours, it is. And I've had so many people tell me that if they have free choice to not come back to earth, they've said, there's no way I'm coming back to this hellhole. I've, he I've heard that a lot too. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, it's pretty universal. And it's, it's understandable because it, no matter who you are, what your position is, there's all kinds of difficulties, you know, even very famous and Rich people, they have difficulties too. They, it, it may not be as apparent to us, but there's, there's lots of, it, it, there's no sort of really easy, cushy life. There's difficulties with everything. And that's how we learn. We learn more from the, from the tragedies and the failures than we do from the successes. So we all have a bunch of things to, you know, uh, hard times to go through, and we hopefully will learn from that. So that's why we come here. We come here to grow and evolve. Nobody forces us. Um, and, and when we get back, we can decide, do I want to go back to planet Earth or to heck with it? Go somewhere else. Yeah. So what happens when our physical body dies? Well, our, our, our souls uh, basically uh, leave our bodies and, and travel on the astral plane to go back to the spirit side. And so when a physical body is about to die, our souls will know that and they will leave the body just before the final moments. So that there's, no, there's no sort of pain or anguish or distress um, when, when you're taking your last breath, no matter how you die. So for example, if you were to die in a car accident, your, your soul would leave your body just before the impact and you'd be hovering above the whole scene watching as the car smashes into the pole or whatever. Uh, and you wouldn't feel any pain or distress or anything because you're out of your body. Um, and so it, the, uh, the transition to the spirit side is actually very, very uh, peaceful, very painless. Uh, and not only that, but in the final moments, depending on, you know, if you're, if you're dying from terminal cancer, a couple of days before your death, your spirit guides will come, appear to you, to comfort you, tell you that they're there to take you to the spirit side. And don't worry, it's going to be an easy passage, you know. And, and uh, so your spirit guides will be there to take you back to the spirit side. And there, one of the first things you'll see is a welcoming party, which is uh, a group of your deceased loved ones, your, your mother, father, grandparents, aunts, uncles, and so on. They'll be there to say, welcome back home. They'll wrap you in, in, in their arms around you with, in unconditional love. And sort of it's a, it's a very amazing experience. And even for people who have pets, even their pets will be there to greet them when they cross over. So we do almost in a cyclic fashion have a, a soul family. There's many words for it, a, a group of souls that we relive lives over and over again with. 
yes, we all have soul groups. Um, it varies in size, but our soul groups tend, we tend to travel together through various lives on earth uh, it, with the group. And we always interchange positions. So we change sexes. We change, you know, one time you're the mother, next time you're the son, next time you're the uncle. Uh, we, we keep on changing roles to get the total perspective of what it's like to be a human on earth. And, and so that, so we just travel together in, in soul groups. And, and so that makes it easier as well when you're doing a life plan. Uh, you can always find somebody in your soul group who take over a role that you need for your new upcoming life. So if I want to go back to reincarnating on earth, I'm going to say to somebody, I want you to be my mother. I want you to be my father. Um, they have to agree to that. And so it's a mutual sort of consensus process where I'm going to be part of their lives and they're going to be part of mine. But it, it's just a handy sort of group. It's like a it's like a troupe of theater actors traveling around the country together and, and, and acting in plays in various roles. So it's really quite a, a, a neat kind of a um, experience to have this group that's, that's with you there always. And in our humanness, sometimes those lessons are not always the most pleasant. I'm trying to put that well. Sometimes they can be pretty tough lessons that uh, we experience, particularly from close family members or loved ones. Oh, oh yes, yeah, and, and, and absolutely. And in some, some cases, um, the tough lessons are prearranged between. So, for example, if, if I wanted to feel what it was like as a child to be abandoned by my father, um, then I'd have to sort of get somebody to be my father and have that father go through the motions to give me the experience I wanted. Uh, and sometimes what, what goes wrong on our planet is, is not pre-planned, but it's free will actions because we all have free will to act. Um, it, so, so this clash of free will actions can cause a lot of harms as well. So it can happen both ways, but, but it's, uh, yeah, some of the experiences on earth are, are absolutely brutal, um, but, you know, it, it's sort of like we knew, that, that could happen before we incarnated and for timid souls they won't go near planet earth albert says that every human should pat themselves on the back for being so courageous as to come to this really tough school so uh, i i just try to uh, encourage people to know that uh, you know it is tough but you you chose to come here to experience these things so get on with it learn your lesson and know that no matter how many wrong turns you make you're always going to end up back on the spirit side so the end game is always very pleasant. You can't go off course. You're going to end up back there where everything's just wonderful. Look, I completely agree with you. And as you mentioned, it's kind of like a story where all actors and each experience, whether we term it good or bad, is an opportunity to grow, to forgive, to love, um, to find freedom. Absolutely. You know, William Shakespeare said, all the world's the stage, and he's right. Because the people on the spirit side, they regard people living their lives on earth as sort of like actors acting in a play. And, you know, if you're acting in a play in Broadway and uh, the script calls for you to stab and kill another actor, but when the curtain goes down, you don't get arrested for murder because it was just play acting. And so they, so, so people who do bad things and murders do happen on our planet and, and, and terrorist acts and so on. But when people, everyone gets back to the spirit side, they look at it as like, okay, well, you're acting in, in this play and I was too and you may have gone off course but that's just part of the learning experience and so there's no carryover of hatred or need for revenge or anything so if you were murdered by somebody in this life when you get back to the spirit side you're going to be just uh, nothing but unconditional love for your murderer which may seem strange but that's how it works because there's yeah. nothing but unconditional love on the spirit side 
What are your thoughts from your experiences of uh, we create our reality? Yeah, we do. We create our reality by, well, in two ways. First of all, uh, the beginnings of our reality were created by our life plan. So we have the, the basis for where we started off on planet Earth. Then we create our own reality by how we react to things. And so you can either be a glass half full person or a glass half empty person. And so your reality is created by how you react to what happens, not what happens to you, but how do you react to it? And, and if you're a positive, optimistic person, um, when something bad happens to you, you say, okay, there was a lesson here for me. What did I learn? What should I learn? And then let's move on and forget it. So we do create our own realities. I mean, we're the, we're the author of our own, we're the author, director, and producer of our own play on Earth. Beautiful. And, and what, what are your thoughts on, I mean, it's a very popular term now on manifesting, manifesting our desires, manifesting our dreams. What's your advice well, or tools or tips on that? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly very positive. You see, when, you, when, you're, when you're thinking about uh, manifesting things, you're really thinking about things that you want to happen. Thoughts are, are, are waves of energy. They fan out and affect other matter and energy in the universe. And focused thoughts are much more powerful than scattered thoughts, just like a laser beam is more powerful than a beam from a flashlight. And so the more focused your thoughts can be, the more likely you can will be to manifest your reality because your thoughts do affect things. And if you have a whole group of people all hoping or wishing for the same thing, that's much more powerful than one person. And then the, the, the ultimate is that um, there's been a lot of masters who have walked on our planet, like Jesus and Moses and some of the other ones. And, you know, Jesus performed his miracles. It wasn't God or the source doing it for Jesus. It was Jesus doing that by very focused thoughts. So he created beams of very powerful energy with his thoughts so he could walk on water, turn water into wine, raise people from the dead. And that's, uh, so there's been a lot of masters who, who've been able to create effectively miracles with their very powerful thoughts. Now, most humans don't have thoughts that powerful. Uh, I certainly don't, I wish they would, but um, you, you know, you, so you can manifest uh, uh, what, what you want, but you have to really work at it with your thoughts. And there's no guarantee it'll happen because there's always conflicting thoughts you know, going around. I mean, if you, if you, if you wish you, if you wish you, you could win a lottery, well, you're competing with how many other million people who also wish that too. So, so you have to, you know, unless you're, unless you're a master who can uh, create the miracles, uh, those things aren't going to happen. And, and I've, I've asked Albert many times, why don't you give me the winning lottery number? <laughs> and he said, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> too bad. Good, good on you for trying. What are your thoughts on angels? Oh, angels are, are, are wonderful. They're very special entities created by the source. And their, their role basically is they, they, they generally don't incarnate into human or other forms like, like other souls. Um, uh, but their, their job basically is to watch over what's going on on Earth. And everyone has one or more guardian angels. And, and, and they are there too. Their purpose is not not to make sure you don't die, but to make sure you don't die before your soul is ready to leave. Because our souls have the ultimate decision as to when they leave the incarnations. And so your guardian angel is there to make sure that if, if there's a clash of free wills on earth that could lead to your demise before your soul is ready to go, they will step in to prevent that. And so they can actually, if they have to, they can actually physically manifest uh, for a temporary period to help you or, or they can cause things, physical things to, 
to, to move around and change. So for example, if you were booked on a flight that they could see was going to crash and kill everyone, they would try to stop you by, first of all, sending you telepathic thoughts to say, you really should change your flight. That's not a good one. And if that doesn't work, they can cause your, the, uh, your tire to go flat on the way to the airport and you miss your flight. So there's a number of things they can do to make sure you're not going to die before your soul is ready to go. Um, so guardian angels are very special people. And, and most people aren't aware that they're doing things uh, to save uh, themselves, uh, but, but they are there. And, and, and although some people do say, well, I just escaped, escaped death by a whisker there. Well, their guardian angel was no doubt in there making sure they didn't. So angels are beautiful, very special people. I met with one of my guardian angels on the spirit side. Her name was Anna Peel, beautiful, wise, uh, wise spirit. Uh, we had a nice chat, um, but it's really nice to know that, that they are there. Uh, our guardian angels are there to help us. I've got one final question for you. How can we live our best life or our most aligned life? Well, well the best life is to always remember the two important things. Well, yeah, love is, is the most important thing. Um, but, but we also have to try to listen to the messages that we get from our spirit guides. Our spirit guides are always with us 24-7, sending us messages. They're trying to steer us on the right course in accordance with what we had hoped to achieve in our life plan. The trouble is for most people, including myself, is that um, we don't always hear these messages. And if we do, we don't always act on them. And, and so we really need to try to pay more attention to what our spirit guides are telling us. And the best way Albert says for that is in meditation. Sit quietly in a room, try to get rid of our cluttered thoughts. And then our messages from our guides uh, will come in a lot clearer. And if you follow those messages, you're going to have a much happier, more fulfilled journey on this planet. What a beautiful way to end the show. Um, where can people connect with you, Garnet? Best place is my website, which is uh, garnetshulhauser.com. And I, and I will leave a link below in the show notes for everyone that's listening or watching. Garnet Schulhauser, thank you so much for being on Passion Harvest. You're such an incredible wealth of information and your experiences with Albert are amazing. So thank you very much. You're welcome. And thank you for inviting me. It was a delightful conversation with you, Louisa. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening. And please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate.